I read your book and I heard about it after you gave the talk. So unfortunately, I couldn't have been there. But mm -hmm. what was the reception like? Now the book, the reception to the book has been quite overwhelming. Actually, mm. I didn't expect it. Yeah. Um, I I think it hit it hit quite a few notes in the sense that people suddenly realised that there was a huge patch of our history that hadn't really been filled in, mm. and I filled it in with stuff which will give future researchers some meat to chew on, to throw away, or to carry on with. I don't know which the yeah. case may be. You know. Yeah. I saw that in the book where you like mention specific parts where other people could kind of pick it up or mm, continue, mm, which is good. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of not having this history recorded or in that way up until now, it's crazy to think about, but at the same time, it kind of, it's good that it came now, I suppose, mm. in light of things that are going on. Yeah, the timing was, was, was seems to have been quite great in the sense that it was the book up was going undergoing a great sense of awareness yeah. in terms of gentrification yes and the point that gentrification was in fact destroying the very fabric of the Burka for example mm. and you probably know already that gentrification has good sides and it has bad sides mm. and in Cape Town it seems as if we see most of the bad side of it basically yes yeah. and I mean there's gentrification obviously in many areas but it's, it's it a worldwide problem yes it's a worldwide phenomenon uh, which I personally don't think has been truly understood. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And also, I mean, it's very different, even in Woodstock, I don't think people are being offered the same kind of compensation or, yeah, I don't know, it's not the same trade-off and it's not just about the location when it comes to Boca. Yeah, look, I mean, gentrification, what, what it's doing in Cape Town, and I think that's our model, mm. it's destroying culture. Yeah. Um, it's destroying neighborhoods in the true sense of a neighborhood being a place where you can go to your neighbor mm. to borrow a cup of sugar or you can talk over the fence. That is yes. disappearing rapidly yes. in the CBD, in Woodstock, in Warmer Estate, in yeah. Salt River. Yeah. In, in fact, as the CBD spreads, as gentrification spreads out of the city, it's like a, um, uh, a, a whole, or like it's a bulldozer just pushing yeah. all old things out of the way for um, old things with a, a veneer of the new yeah. and a completely different moneyed culture taking the place of what was before. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I think that when people say, oh, the, the culture, the fabric is being lost, I don't think that it's um, like spoken about enough that it's really the roots are in Islam in that area. I think people shy away from that a lot. Yeah, they, they tend to do that. In in yeah. fact, one can even broaden it a bit that the, the roots of the Burkhap were in fact in slavery. Yes. The There were very few free blacks um, in the 16th and 17th century. They existed, yeah. but it was very difficult if you were not European and a, co a colonizer, mm. for example, to own property. Mm. It was very, very difficult and only towards the middle of the 18th century do you see um, property ownership coming to the fore. Yeah. In fact, uh, researching the Tuanguru book is when I discovered that probably in the late 1700s was when you started to see um, ex-slaves, for example, starting to own their own property in the book up. Mm. So it, it's slave origins, but the culture um, 
in the community was predominantly a Muslim one, mm. but we can't forget that there were so many other elements that came into it. I mm. mean, people forget that there was also an African culture yeah. uh, in, in the city, mm. and that there was also a Christian culture, mm. and there was also a Jewish culture. Mm. All of these cultures seem to have disappeared and, and moved elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else? Um, okay, so one of the, basically <laughs> in this podcast, I wanted to do like five episodes touching on different mm-hmm, issues. Mm-hmm. One of them was like housing, one of them was um, like legacy and people's memories. Okay, I mean, I'll just do yeah. random, I'll tell you about housing. Yeah. Um, if you look at the housing scenario, yeah. Um, the, the problems of gentrification in Cape Town are a political one, mm. and the political problem lays itself at the door of the Democratic Alliance, or the DA, um, whose view of the city has been a very one-eyed one, Mm. where it's been only too happy to allow ratepayers to go into areas who are going to pay higher rates and taxes, as opposed to poor people who can't afford to pay the rates and taxes that the DA wants people to pay. So that's been an issue. That has militated against the idea of sub-economic housing. And I mean, I have spoken to people like Brett Heron numerous times over the years. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, we've engaged the city authorities, mm-hmm. government, and everybody. And the biggest frustration has been that at the DA level, and they are directly to blame for this, mm-hmm. is that they have done very, very little to have the proper urban mix mm-hmm. of sub economic communities living close to the centers. Of, of work. Yes. It just hasn't happened yeah. here since 1994. Yeah. And I'm not making a political statement when I say DA, I'm making yeah. a statement what I consider of bureaucratic fact. Yes. Hmm. So that is one of the other episode kind of things yeah. that I wanted to do is focus on politics. Yeah. Just ask me yeah. what, what any issues you want me to talk about yeah. and I'll, I'll just give you a soundbite. You know, okay. so, to say, uh, um, so the other thing is I feel like there's no other like place where you could go and then you see like Palestinian flags. I mean, I think that's amazing. That is actually um, something that even amazes people from Palestine itself. Mm, yes. And, and it points out to the uniqueness of the Bukap, mm. South Cape Town Muslim culture. Yeah. Um, one thing that gentrification uh, is, is also starting to, to erode is the idea that you have that there is a Cape Muslim identity. It's not a Malay identity. Yeah. It's not Indian or whatever. The Cape Muslim identity is yeah. Tavern of the Seas. Yes. It's a mixture of every single blood on the face of this earth. And yeah. that's what makes it so unique yeah. with some Malay characteristics, with mm-hmm. some Arab characteristics, with African characteristics mm-hmm. and so many others. Yeah. And um, the Bukhar, because it was sheltered from the Group Areas Act. The Group Areas Act never got into the Bukha. Mm. The Bukha became a time capsule of what our communities could have been like mm. had the Group Areas not have removed people from Deep River, from mm. Constantia, um, from, from Salt River, from Observatory, from Rondebosch, from Newlands, in yeah. fact, from every corner of Claremont. Mm. If these communities hadn't been forcibly moved and pushed onto the Cape Flats, mm. there would have been hundreds of bull all around mm. the Cape Peninsula. Wow. And 
the, the value of the Burkhardt, it, it's a living museum. It's a yeah. living cultural museum of real people who are showing to us what things could have been like had apartheid not have, have uh, obliterated most, of, most of our communities. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, what else did I want to ask you? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah. The one of the unfortunate things about gentrification in in the in in the Burkhardt in particular mm-hmm. is that when property rates values started to rise, a lot of people were seduced by huge sums of money. Yes. Um, okay, and and they sold up, mm-hmm. and they moved out of the Burkhardt, and when they moved out, they realized exactly what they'd lost. Yeah. Money cannot buy culture. Money mm-hmm. cannot buy your neighbors. It can't buy who you are, yeah. and a lot of families regret the fact that they actually moved out of the book up due to the high high property rates. But on the other side of the coin, you find people who are pensioners, mm. people who've been working class all their life. They've never earned a lot of money. They're now having to face rates and taxes that are more than a bond, actually yes. more than their rent sometimes. Yeah. E- even in my own case, because this is an area that's also being gentrified. Mm. Uh, in, 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 in warmer estate that in one year the, the city council increased the value of my property by more than 60 percent Wow! so in other words my rates and taxes have now d- gone up by 60 percent and there's nothing I can do about it so what happens is if I'm a pensioner I'm only earning my neighbors are pensioners yeah they can't afford to live here anymore and they've been living here for 40 years mm. so it it forces people out of there. It's forced removal by economic means. Yes, and displacement. Yeah, it, and to me, it's an apartheid displacement mm. because the city authorities are not sympathetic to the poor yeah. and they're not sympathetic to the fact that if somebody's lived here for 30 or 40 years, haven't they paid enough in rates and taxes now yeah. to get a genuine rebate? Yeah. The council will say if you earn below a certain threshold, we will give you a hundred percent rebate and that kind of stuff, but there are too many people who fall through the cracks. Mm. There's no compassion and there's no sympathy. And what it's doing, it's destroying. It's actually destroying Cape Town. Mm. And it's interesting that in um, in Burkhardt with the elections that the ANC mm. won it back, which is that was very significant, yes. and it was probably one of the the few triumphs of the ANC mm. in that the people of the Burkhardt were were, were just hurtful. Yes. They're also getting very hurtful of the corruption. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example of the corruption. There's a company called Block yes. that has been responsible for one of yeah. the, the big developments in the Burkhardt. I can tell you on very good authority that Block were allowed to go ahead with the development by the city council on the condition that 20% of the development would be available for sub-economic uh, uh, tenants. Mm-hmm. They have violated that part of the agreement and to such an extent where certain investors in the project have pulled out and I have this on very good authority Um, I can't reveal authorities unfortunately but I I can promise you they are it's authentic Mm. it's from right inside the belly of the beast and Block is getting away with this so now instead of 20% going to people who should be um, allow a part of the the privilege yes. are going to be so the poor are yet again denied access to something yes. because money has spoken yeah. and to my mind it's corruption mm-hmm. and I think watch the court because I think some interesting court cases are going to emerge out of this particular issue and issues mm-hmm. similar to this where developers 
are just beyond ruthless. Mm. It's all about the bottom line. And to me, proper urban development is not about the, the bottom line is important, yes, but it's about enhancing the quality of life. If gentrification doesn't enhance the quality of life, to me, it's exploitation and it's exploitation yeah. of the poor. Yeah. And it seems as if our city at least has forgotten that uh, development has to have compassion and it doesn't mm. have that at the moment. Mm. Sorry, I'm just trying to think about no, what else no, there no. was. <laughs> no. um, what other issues are there in terms of gentrification? Um, yeah, I was just looking at like mm. the fact that it is a lot of um, the, the elderly who are taking on this fight, and it's because they're the ones who live there and yeah, have so lived there. Yeah. I mean, in, in the in the in the I think what was the straw that broke the camel's back was when we had um, a 90-year-old woman standing on the front lines yes. and actually being arrested. Yeah. And I think everybody woke up to realize, hang on a minute, this is not right. This, should, this shouldn't actually be happening. Yeah. The other unfortunate thing of gentrification is that a few years ago when the Adhan used to sound, which is the call to prayer, the whole of the Bukhab would resound with this, this, this call. Yes. Not only two mosques are allowed to make this call. Uh. Now, but you think, but this is crazy. This is a Muslim area. Yeah. It doesn't offend anybody. Yeah. But now it is because you've got new people moving into the area yeah. with very arrogant Eurocentric attitudes. Yeah. There's no other way I can describe it. Yeah. And very unsympathetic to the existing culture. Mm. I mean, if you move next door to a mosque, expect people to park in front of your house, expect yeah. to hear the Adhan expect people to be coming in and out of a building next door to you mm. but people I don't know they seem to be to be blinded to the fact that this is going to be a reality mm. and it's created a tremendous amount of tension within the Bukhap community mm. although some people who've moved in have fitted in very well mm. they've accepted the culture they realize this is the lay of the land mm. they fit in but you get an element of people who don't yeah and it just takes one or two complaints to the city council mm. who have to respond and it sets up a whole chain of an unfortunate events where, yeah. for example, the, the Adhan, sound of the Adhan is, uh, is suppressed, it can't mm. happen anymore, where the, um, the Kuhn Carnival can't march through the streets anymore, mm. which it's been doing for more than 200 years, all sorts of stuff like this now falls by the wayside yeah. because of the um, pseudo middle class values of the new tenants that have moved yeah. into the CBD. Yeah. I was. Well, I'm staying in the area, but I was in a house with like nine people for a little bit. And in small little things, you see that even if it's just like everyone's just hanging around outside. Like, I don't understand. Like, what is everyone doing? And it's like, that's just what people do. Like, why is it a problem for people to be sitting on a pavement? Or it's whatever a street it culture. Is? Yeah, exactly. In, in fact, it's the saddest thing that we've seen in our neighborhoods. Hmm. Is that 20 years ago, on, on a hot summer's evening, and it gets hot here, we could open our front door, we had no yeah. safety gates, and everybody would be sitting on their stoops. Yeah. Beautiful. Now we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Because what happens is, as uh, people from other areas move in, they put up the fences, they put up yeah. the electrical fences, and now they create these barriers. Yeah. And w when you create these barriers, it, attra it actually attracts crime. Yeah. When our front doors were open, we had no crime. Yeah. The minute the safety gates came up, we had crime. Because then you must be guarding something. Yeah, there's an expe you know? expectancy that we're hiding yeah. something. Yeah. 
and um, that to me is one of the saddest things that you we, we hardly ever see children playing in the st- in the roads anymore mm. and that used to be a characteristic of district six mm. and of the book yeah um, I think those are my questions. Do you okay. have anything else you want to add or advice or anything? <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I, d- I think I probably touched on the issues that concern a lot of members of the community yeah. that I've picked up over the years yeah. also as a journalist and an mm-hmm. author and stuff. Um, yeah, the other significant thing is about the youth. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think one of the significant things about the first protest in the Boer Cup yeah is that young people suddenly started to realize that they were, they had a culture that they could be proud of. Yeah. They were starting to lose it. Mm-hmm. And um, I really salute the young people of the Boer Cup and of other areas who actually rose up mm-hmm. to raise their voices about gentrification. And of course the old people as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interesting mix yeah. of old, old struggle stalwarts and the youth suddenly realizing that their whole lifestyle was disappearing before mm. their very eyes. Mm. And I hope that uh, young people carry on with uh, this awareness because if we don't know where we've come from, how do we know where we're going to go in the future? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no pleasure. Okay. Um, in the book that you that you wrote, um, when you mentioned the, like, the oldest Quran that we have, that's in the mosque. Um, mm. I did an interview with someone else, and then they took me there, and like I got to see it. It was so cool. <laughs> no, it is, yeah, it's handwritten. In fact, yeah. he wrote four or five of them. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Mm. No, um, I mean the people that visited Cape Town, like Tuanguru. I mean he was a prince, yeah. a genuine prince, yeah. and um, they were they were of genuine nobility. A lot of them yeah. were related to the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. Um, which in, in Islam is regarded to be a very noble thing. Yeah. But apart from that, these people, they were scholars, they were refined, they were very cult- cultured people. Mm. Unfortunately, colonialism never saw people from Indonesia or the Far East as having a culture, but Indonesia mm. has got a culture that's thousands of years old. I mean, some of the finest Buddhist ruins in the world are in Indonesia, mm. not in India or other parts of Asia. Indonesia, you find them, mm. you know, a whole island full of these incredible ruins, you know. Yeah. Oh, I just thought of one question. Okay. Um, the so the Cape Malay term not being like the right one. Um, what do you think people should say? To me, um, I mean, I I don't fight it. Yeah. But I mean, to me, the, <clears throat> the most appropriate term is Cape Muslim. Okay. Uh, Malay was a term that was encouraged by Dr. Idi Duplessis, who was a friend of P. W. Boerter who at that time in the 50s and 60s was a minister of something called Community Development, which was the cutting edge of the Group Areas Act. And Aide Duplessis created this Malay identity um, to ghettoize Muslims. Mm -hmm. In fact, it it did a lot of damage because everybody, number one, people were not comfortable with it. And then after 1994, it became popular to call yourself Malay, mm. obviously because of roots in Indonesia, etc. But it's um, it's an ethnic identity which simply doesn't fit and it's mm. inappropriate, yeah. uh, considering the fact that the, the early slaves came from Indonesia, they came from India, they came from Africa, Sri Lanka, Madagascar, West Africa, Swahili coast, mm. they came from everywhere. Yeah. 
and that's not a Malay identity. That mm. to me is a unique Cape identity. 